Our topic this week, as we continue the Depressed People of the Bible seminar, is Joseph not depressed. So he really shouldn't be in the book, but nonetheless he is in the book, Depressed People of the Bible. He's one of the people in there, as a contrast to all the others who were depressed. And we'll see what he was able to do to keep from being depressed. And we'll also be looking at some principles from Depression the Way Out by Dr. Neil Nedley. So before we get into Joseph itself, I want to ask a few questions. Uh, what does a podiatrist study? Feet. feet. Very good. Very good. Uh, and a lot of people aren't familiar with this, but uh, if your feet smell and your nose runs, it means you're built upside down. <laughs> How about a cardiologist? What does a cardiologist study? The heart. This is a smart group. Boy, I'll tell you that. This is amazing. All right. How about a psychologist or a psychiatrist? The mind. Okay. All right. Very good. Three for three. Now, what is the mind? A jumbled mess, all right. Everything. What's that? Behaving, okay. Where behavior comes from, good. What's that? Your behavior, okay. It's what controls the behavior, yeah. What we do. Thought processes. What else? What is the mind? Does everything. Does everything, but what is it? Give me a definition. What is the mind? The mind is? The brain. The control center, okay, all right. There's emotions, all right, controls the emotions, your emotions are there. Choices are made, very good. What is the mind? I need a better definition. It's the motor that runs the body, okay, all right. The soul, very good, these are good. Central nervous system, okay. What's that? The nervous system and the brain and the spinal cord. Right, the nervous system, right. But the brain keeps the whole body working, right? So without the brain, the body will shut down. I think that's what you meant, right? Anything else? The brain is? We're way off. Okay, where should we look? If we wanted to find what is the definition, what is a brain? I mean, those were all okay answers. But if we wanted to go, where would we find a definition of what is the brain? The Bible, good, very good, that's right. That's right, we want to go to the source, right, of what is the brain, and so let's go to the Bible. Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is, so the mind is, enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. That's amazing. So the mind, the carnal mind, and that's what we all have, that's what we're all born with, the carnal mind, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. It is hatred towards God. And that is what psychiatrists and psychologists study. They're constantly studying hatred towards God. <laughs> That's right. 
And the mind is not subject to the law of God. So it's not in harmony with the law of God. It's against the law of God. It does not find itself in subjection to, in, in harmony with, in, in obedience to the law of God. That is why it's not natural for us to obey the law of God. That's why it's natural for us to resist obeying the law of God. And nor indeed can it be. It can't be in harmony with the law of God. The carnal mind cannot be in subjection, in subject to, in love with God or his laws. It can't be. And so every attempt at behavior modification, see when we used to be in a biblical literate country with a vast majority reading the Bible, going to services, uh, in tune with or at least uh, leaning towards, in favor of the Bible and spiritual biblical truths, there were some morals that were common. And so they would use that as the standard. And so when they would meet someone who was not living that standard, they would try and modify the behavior so that it would be socially acceptable to the rest of society. But the Bible tells us it can't be. It won't work. Just trying to change the behavior is not enough. It will not work. It still will not be subject to. It still will not will be happy. It still will not will be in harmony with God or the love of God because the carnal mind will always be enmity against God. That's why they don't have solutions. That's why they're constantly changing the solutions. That's why they're constantly changing the, 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 the definition of morals and what is right and what is wrong. Because they're studying something that is totally broken and corrupt. And so instead of trying to change it, they've gotten to the point where they say, well, let's now just go along with it. That's what they're doing. The carnal mind says that uh, the person thinks they're a duck. And so then we all have to say they're a duck. And we all have to believe they're a duck. And make believe with them that they're a duck. Because that's what their mind says. Because that's all they're studying. All they're studying is a corrupt mind. A carnal mind. That is against God and resistant to God and resistant to God's law and resistant to God's truth. And so they have no standard and they see that trying to change it doesn't work. And so they've given up trying and so now it's just accepted. Whatever the mind says, whatever the person believes, whatever the person wants, it's okay. That's what now has become the new normal, which is not biblically normal or healthy or good in any way, shape or form. And this is why. But that is what they study. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Back to almost the very beginning. Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is a pretty amazing verse. And that wasn't just for then. That is from then, before then, and since then. A definition of the heart, the mind, the thoughts, humanity. Wickedness of man is great in the earth. That every intent, every purpose, 
every desire, every of his thoughts are only, all the time, only evil, continually, cannot do good, is not good, it will never be good, continually, from birth to death, even all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Every even good thought or good, so-called good thought or good deed is wrapped up with selfish motives and is still against God and against his law. And this is what they're studying. So it's broken. It's wicked. Every intent. Only evil continually. It's like if I, if I gave you a bunch of broken parts and I told you to put them back together, you never saw what it's supposed to look like to begin with. You have no idea, and neither do I, of what it was supposed to do, what it's for, what its purpose is for. Would you be able to put it together? Is it supposed to run on 110 or 220 or 240? Or is it supposed to run on gas or diesel? Is it supposed to run at all? Is it just supposed to sit there and be an ornament? Which part goes where? What connects to what? You have no idea. You never saw a working model. And all you have is broken pieces. And that's what they have to work with. They're looking at broken minds continually, never having seen a working mind because all humanity, all our thoughts, every intent is only evil continually. So they have no solution. They can't put it back together. And that's the dilemma that they're in. And that's why the principles that we're looking at from Dr. Nedley's book, Depression the Way Out, and Depressed People of the Bible, is under a different paradigm altogether. It's not studying the human mind. Another text along this line from Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart, talking about the mind, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can figure it out? In other words, no one can. It's impossible to figure out because it's so desperately wicked. Or, or not desperate, yeah, because it's deceitful above all things. Above all things, it's the most deceitful thing there is. Above everything there is, the mind of man is the most deceitful. So we defeat, deceive ourselves, we lie to ourselves, we lie to anyone who's trying to help us, we're in denial, we smoke screen them all the time. We lay there on the couch and we tell them whatever. <laughs> from one perspective, from a lying perspective, and thus they can't fix it. Can't know it. Can't understand it. Can't reason with it. And it's desperately wicked. Continually. Only. Even the intent. That's what the Bible is saying. 
That's the description of the mind. The carnal mind, which we're all born with. But there is hope. Not necessarily medications or behavior modifications or sitting for years and years on years and years and years of counseling from people who are studying depraved, deceitful, wicked, desperately wicked, evil-intented hearts, minds. But Romans 12, 2 gives us a solution. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So don't be conformed to this world. Don't become normal with this world. Don't become in harmony with this world. Don't go along with the rest of the world. Don't do what's natural. Don't do what's normal according to how we're born. Just do it. If it feels good, just do it. Don't go along with that. Don't be conformed to that. But rather be transformed. Be changed. Have a new mind. A renewed mind. The old mind taken out. God says, I will take out your heart of stone. I will put in a new heart. To be born anew, to be born again, all things becoming new, to being changed. And then once God changes us, and as God changes us, and He continues to change us, being renewed day by day, then we are able to prove, to testify, to live, to demonstrate what is good, and what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And what is in harmony with the will of God? In harmony with the law of God. In union with God. Loving God. Makes all the difference in the world. Amen. Amen. So it's not trying to change the mind that's there. It's not trying to help the mind that's there. It's throwing it away. Taking those broken parts and throwing them away and buying whatever you need. And only what you need. Getting a new mind, a new heart, renewed continually by the Holy Spirit and transformed by the Holy Spirit. These are the principles that the book Depression, What the Way Out, and Depressed People of the Bible were written with this mindset. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Messiah Yeshua. What a powerful verse. What a wonderful verse. What a wonderful promise. Now, why would he say, let this mind be in you if the mind that we have is okay? Right? But it's not okay. So in order to make room for his mind, the mind that we're born with has to be removed and taken away and thrown away. Crucified with him. Buried in the tomb with him. Destroyed and killed. No good. It can't be helped. Can't be fixed. Can't be modified. But have a new mind. A chance to transform mind. His mind placed into us. 
with his desires, with his thoughts, with his power, with his goodness. That is what makes the difference. That is where it's powerful. That is the goodness of God. Now, in this verse, it says, let this mind. That's a pretty passive word. Just let. Allow. Right? Don't resist it. Don't push it away. But let. Surrender. Receive. The will of God. The mind of God. The heart of God. And so we do that by surrendering, dying to self, letting go of our carnal nature, of our evil desires, through confession, accepting our death in Messiah, which he has already done for us, by choice, by faith, and then receiving and accepting of his mind, of his spirit, accepting his forgiveness, accepting his cleansing, accepting his removal of the carnal heart, the carnal nature, and then the receiving of his spirit with the new mind, with the new thoughts, with the new desires on a day-by-day basis. Dying daily and born anew daily. Being born afresh daily and receiving of God's love continually. Isaiah 26.3 You will keep him, talking about God, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So it's keeping the mind, the renewed mind, stayed on the Lord. And we will have that perfect peace. Without fear, without confusion, without worries, without anxiety, without despair. Perfect peace by keeping our mind stayed on the Lord. So let's get into Joseph, because we see this is what Joseph did, and this is why Joseph was not depressed. Even though, as we'll see, he had very good reason to be depressed, but he did not. We have his whole life, about 20 chapters, from his birth to his death. That's more than most people in the Bible. 20 chapters, long chapters. So we have the, the, the account of his birth or the recording of his birth and then we have his history recorded for us. And in that we have no record of him experiencing clinical depression. I have no doubt he had his moments of despair. But anything that would have been worthy of noting it would have been in the Bible. As we've seen for other people who don't have nearly as much time span written about them. Such as Jonah, really, we only have within one year, no doubt, everything about him, and it discusses his, his depressions, and then we have others as well that we've looked at. Bible doesn't withhold anything from us that we need to know. It told us about David, and Moses, and Elijah, and so many others that we've looked at. And yet, in all these verses, no description of Joseph being depressed. Why? That's what we're going to look at. How did he do it? So, starting in chapter 37, well, we're jumping in on his life here, so already, before we get to chapter 37, uh, 
He's born under difficult circumstances. He's born into a family that has four mothers and, and uh, with uh, lots of uh, brothers uh, that don't get along. And they have to move a lot. They, had a, they were with Laban and, and chased by their uncle. And uh, then later on chased by uh, their other uncle. <laughs> and uh, with their father's life that's threatened. And their lives are threatened. And so a lot of turmoil in his young life. His, his mother dies at a young age, uh, giving birth to his uh, biological brother, his full brother. And, uh, and so a lot, and then being raised by one of these other, or all three of the other mothers that are left. Those are the kind of circumstances that he was raised on. And then as a teenager, no doubt, or maybe a little older, we start up in chapter 37, verse 23. I guess another point I should make before we read that, sorry. Uh, we're not going to be able to read, cover 20 chapters here, right? So read it in the Bible yourself. That's where you'll get the whole picture, the full picture. We're going to scream it really quickly. Uh, so just jump in verses to so just hit the highlights and, and what pertains to our discussion today of how was he able to not be depressed. Okay, so now with that, Genesis 37, verse 23. Chapter 37, verse 23. When Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic the tunic of many colors that was on him, and cast him into a pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Chapter 39, verse 1, Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites. So, that's not a great situation either, rejected by his brothers, after all the other stuff I already mentioned. And so he's going out there to try and help them out, and they throw him in a pit, planning to kill him. And then they decide to sell him as a slave. And he's carted off all the way down to Egypt and then sold into slavery. Horrible. Horrible. So the amount of separation and loss and grief that he just is going through at this point and the unknown, the future, and he's facing all of this. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of the master of Egyptian, of, the, uh, of his master the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. He made Joseph overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So here Potiphar, his master, this Egyptian, sees the Lord in him and puts him in charge of his whole household. Now let me ask you this question. If Joseph had been spending every day since the Ishmaelites took him, and while he was there in Potiphar's household, if he spent every day crying day and night because of his loss, because of his fears, because of his insecurities, do you think Potiphar would have put him in charge of his whole household? If he was holding on to bitterness and rage at his brothers and break out every so often in unreasonable, uncontrolled anger, do you think Potiphar would have seen the Lord in Joseph? I don't think so either.
Then, chapter 39, verse 7, his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me, but he refused. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. So here he's faced with this temptation. He's in a foreign land. He's subject to his master and his wife, and he's under their authority, and she tries to persuade him to lie with her, and he resists. And he gives the reason for God, that God, that I cannot do this wickedness against God. So obviously Joseph had not rejected God, had not forsaken God, had accepted the Lord, and that was first thing on his mouth in this temptation. I cannot do this sin against God. I cannot do this wickedness against God. Now I would be very surprised if this was the first instance. I'd imagine that Potiphar's wife tried various different ways before this. Maybe various seductive suggestions or eyes or various different ways to try and get his attention and try and lure him in. And so I'd imagine this is what he was thinking each time he resisted the temptation. No, I cannot do that and sin against God. And so then when it gets to the point where she just grabs him and tries to force him, rips off his outer cloak, those are the words that come out of his mouth. So in all that he's been through already, he has not rejected God. He could. He could justify it. If there was a God, what would I be doing here in slavery? What would I be doing here in Egypt? Why would my God allow those, my brothers to do that to me? Why would he allow me to end up in this situation? But he didn't reject God. He kept God in his heart and his mind. He kept his mind steadfast on the Lord. And that is one of the keys that kept him from being depressed. In spite of it all, he kept his mind on the Lord. Now, how much of the Bible do you think he was able to take with him into Egypt? How many chapters of the Bible, how many books of the Bible do you think he took with him into Egypt? Zero, right? Why, because he didn't have time to get it? Or they didn't let him take it? It wasn't written yet, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he didn't have the vast amount of information that we have. He didn't have the whole story of Joseph, the whole story of Moses, the whole story of David, the whole story of the whole Bible, the whole story of Yeshua. He didn't have all the wonderful writings that we have to edify us. And yet he had enough to be able to resist temptation and to keep his mind focused on the Lord. All he had was the stories his father taught him. And he kept his mind on the Lord. Even though at this point he separated from them. He separated from his family. He separated from godly values. He's in a totally different culture. And yet he chose above all things 
to put God first. And no doubt he knows what's going to happen. And now to that second part there. If you were in Potiphar's place, having the wealth and position that you had, and you heard the story that one of the, your servants tried to rape your spouse, what would you have done to them? Did you just put them in prison in that day and age? They'd be lucky if they got out of the house alive, right? <laughs> you have them executed. So why doesn't he have them executed? I think Potiphar knew two things. I think he knew Joseph. <laughs> and he knew Joseph would never do something like that. And I think he knew his wife. <laughs> so I think between those two things, but he had a safe face and he throws him into prison. So what happens in prison? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Now it starts there with the Lord was with Joseph. No, the Lord's with everyone. So what does it mean the Lord was with Joseph? It means Joseph was with the Lord. That Joseph opened himself and was receptive to receiving the Lord's love, to receiving the Lord's power, to receiving the Lord's grace. And so thus the Lord was able to bless and work through Joseph. That where the chief jailer saw the Lord in Joseph and put him into a position of high. Now let me ask you a question. If Joseph had been sitting in that cell with a face to the wall, crying and moaning and complaining all day long, this food here is horrible, this bed is horrible, it's, hard, it's wet and cold down here, and I shouldn't be here anyway, and, and uh, that Potiphar's wife, she's a liar and, 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 and evil and wicked, I'm trying to not think of a curse, but you know, just a horrible, horrible lady, and, and, and that is not right, I shouldn't even be a slave, I shouldn't even be here in Egypt, my horrible brothers, they are wicked, they are mean, they, they, they hated me, it's unjust, I was a good kid, I did nothing wrong. And if he was just saying that over and over again, do you think they would have put him in charge of all the other prisoners? No. Spread discontent all over the place. Or if he was missing days at work when he was at Potiphar, or here in charge of all the... If he was missing days at work because he was just crying and, and dysfunctional, do you think he would have been able to be put in charge of all the, the prison? No. I don't think so either. Or again, ranting and raving and yelling and screaming and having fits of rage every so often? No. Now Joseph chose. And all those things were real. All those things did happen. Did he have a right to be angry with Potiphar's wife? Did he have a right to be angry with his brothers? Yes, the answer is yes. If you're not sure, the answer is yes. I'll help you with the hard ones. <laughs> yes, he had every right to be. They did wrong to him. It was horrible what they did to him. Did he have a right to be sad about that? Yes. But what were his options? 
He can sit there and complain and it's not going to help anything. He can sit there and cry and it's not going to help anything. He can have fits of rage and it's not going to help. Or he can choose to biblically forgive them for the evil that they did. And we talk about that in the book of Jonah, in the story of Jonah that we did, in the chapter on Jonah, in the, and on the sermon on Jonah. And so if you missed that, go back. It's on shalomadventure.com. You can watch the sermon on Jonah. Because everything that Jonah did wrong regarding forgiveness, Joseph did right. True biblical forgiveness. Not this flim-flamsy forgiveness that allows people to walk all over you, but biblical forgiveness that chooses not to get angry because of their wrongs. that chooses to trust God in spite of the wrongs that they did to us. And so there he is, he's still in prison. Then chapter 40, verse 2, Pharaoh was angry with the chief butler and put him in the prison where Joseph was confined. The butler had a dream and Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? The chief butler told his dream to Joseph. Joseph said, this is the interpretation. Within three days, Pharaoh will restore you to your palace. So here again, Joseph's openly talking about God. And now at this point, he's been there for years. Maybe a decade at this point, between slavery and prison. And he's still talking about God. He's still giving glory to God. If any interpretation of any dream is able to be uh, given, it's because it comes from God. He's testifying. In spite of, he's living in an area where they believe in all other kinds of gods, not in his God. And he's a prisoner, and he's a foreigner. He's a convict. And a slave. And yet he's still testifying to the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. Who's above all humanity who gives the interpretation of dreams. And he interprets the dream for the butler, but remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. And on the third day Pharaoh restored the chief butler. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So here Joseph is nice to this guy, spends time with him, listens to his dream, prays, God gives him interpretation, gives him the interpretation, and it's right. And all he asks is, remember me when you go back to Pharaoh. And he forgets him. Another disappointment. Another rejection. Joseph have a right to be upset with the butler? Yes. Now we see here mentioned that the kind of forgiveness that Joseph had does not ignore or excuse the wrongs that others did. Biblical forgiveness is not, it's just forget it. Forgive and forget. That's not biblical at all. That's lunacy. And that causes depression because you can't forget it. And if you try and force yourself to forget it, then you're excusing it away and allowing them to continue it and that'll make you depressed. 
But Joseph mentioned specifically, I was stolen away. I have done nothing here that they should have put me in this dungeon. My brothers stole me, sold me to uh, the Ishmaelites, who sold me to Potiphar. Then I was falsely accused of a wrong and put in a dungeon. He calls their wrong out. And true biblical forgiveness will acknowledge the wrongs that are done. But it won't dwell on them 24-7 and cry about it and get angry about it. It will turn those wrongs over to the Lord and trust for the Lord's timing to deal with those wrongs. So typical wrong conception taught in most biblical Bible circles, Bible teaching circles, again, which is totally wrong, is to forgive and forget and to go on and just let them get away with it. Become a doormat. That type of forgiveness. If they don't have to make a payment for it, the debt is forgiven, they shouldn't have to pay you back. If your debt's forgiven, you shouldn't have to pay it back. And no change. I'm forgiven, so I don't have to now live in harmony with the law of God. I'm just forgiven. Not obedient, just forgiven. Or even bumper stickers. God's children are not perfect, they're just forgiven. That all? Just forgiven? No change in the life, no change in the heart, no change in the mind? Just forgiven? What a miserable gospel. Is that all God can do? Say, oh, well, I saw it, but I'm going to just forget it. Let's just forget it. Don't worry about it. No. Call out the wrong and trust the Lord for the vengeance. Trust the Lord for the judgment. Trust the Lord for the justice. Now he may use us, and we'll see he uses Joseph in helping to bring about that justice and that judgment. And sometimes God will do that. Sometimes you might have to get a lawyer. Sometimes you might have to call the police. Sometimes you may have to appear in court. Sometimes you might have to demand your rights. But don't let it become all-consuming, and don't let it become out of revenge, out of anger, but out of justice. What is right, to do what is right, to keep them from doing that again to someone else. To keep them from doing that again to you. Justice. So a lesson can be learned. Just, not just merely just for punishment and the release of anger. If those are our motives, that's wrong. And so the false forgiveness is, well, just forget it. Just give over. Just let them get away with it. Just become a doorman. And that again is depressing. So then we just suppress it and suppress it and suppress it and it bursts out in tears or it bursts out in, in, in anger every so often. But to acknowledge it, call it what it is, so it's out in the open, it was wrong, I shouldn't have done it, but I'm going to trust the Lord. And that's what Joseph did. And that's what makes the difference. So let's look at the hits that Joseph potentially had. 
So genetic, we have his family, uh, Father Jacob and Grandfather Isaac and Abraham and his matriarchs, uh, Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel. We have no history of depression particularly there. Developmental, we saw a developmental, he had a lot of rough, very rough childhood. Not raised by his mother and all those other things and early death of her. And lifestyle, well, when he was a slave or in a dungeon, he might not have got a lot of sunlight or fresh air. And who knows how much exercise he was allowed in the dungeon. So that could have been. Circadian rhythm, again, being a slave in a, in a prison. I don't know if, I know if they had a regular schedule for him or allowed him to have a regular schedule and be in control of his schedule. So circadian rhythm easily could have been thrown off. Addiction, I don't believe he had any addictions. Nutrition, again, we don't know what kind of food he was being served there in the prison. That could have been a, a problem. Toxic, well, we don't know that. Uh, social grief, yes, definitely. He was under a lot of stress. He had no support system, and he experienced many great losses. Medical, we don't have his medical history. And frontal lobe, this is where he shines the most. He does not do anything against his conscience. Kept his frontal lobe clear and strong. We're going to talk more next week about the frontal lobe. Very, very important. Very, very vital. So he easily could have had five hits. Dr. Nedley told us if you go over four hits at any one time, you have a very good chance of becoming clinically depressed. But as soon as you bring those hit levels down under the four level, then the clinical depression will go away. So he easily at times could have had over five, but by keeping his frontal lobe strong, it kept him from going into depression. By keeping his mind on the Lord, by choosing to biblically, correctly forgive those who had wronged him. By acknowledging their wrong, but choosing to trust the Lord. So continue, continue with the story. After two years, so the butler forgot about him for two years. After two years, Pharaoh had a dream and no one could interpret them. And then the chief butler said to the Pharaoh, I remember my faults this day. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Pharaoh said, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God Joseph shall be over my house and all my people. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. That is pretty amazing. So a convict, not even an ex-convict, a convict, still serving time, a foreigner, a slave, being elevated to second in command of all of Egypt. I doubt everyone else in Pharaoh's cabinet was happy about that. All the rest who were wanting that position could not have been happy about that. How on earth could Pharaoh do that? How on earth could he take someone who's a convict and a slave and a foreigner and put him in that position? Except that he had seen the Lord in Joseph. And Joseph was not ashamed and told him, it's God. God will give the interpretation, not me. He was very humble. It's not me. I can do no good. There is nothing good in me. It is God who gives the interpretation. 
To God be the glory in all things and for all things. And so Pharaoh sees the Lord and so let me ask you a question. Would Pharaoh have seen the Lord in Joseph if all day long Joseph was crying into his pillow, if he was telling everybody he saw in every opportunity, oh, I shouldn't be here anyway, it's horrible down here, it's cold down here, the food is horrible, Pharaoh's wife is mean and horrible and lied and she's a liar and, and, and corrupt and and let me tell you about my brothers too while I'm at it. And go through the whole story all over again, over and over and over again. Would Pharaoh see the Lord in Joseph? No. no. Even if he didn't tell the story to Joseph, if he had been telling that story every day to everybody, or even to nobody but just to himself over and over and over and over again, there is no way the Pharaoh would have seen the Lord. It would just be on his face. He would not have the peace that passes understanding. He would not have that perfect peace of mind. He would not have the joy of the Lord shining through him. So again, he didn't just forget about everybody's wrongs. He acknowledged them, but he put it into the right perspective. It was wrong. It was sinful. And God will deal with it in his time and in his way. And that is the proper Perspective on forgiveness. When Joseph saw Benjamin, so time goes by, and, and he, uh, Joseph's now in this position, and so now we go seven years of plenty, and then at least some years of famine, to where Joseph's family runs out of food, and the brothers have to come to get food, so now we're going close to 20 years or so separated and still by himself and the brothers come to get food and he sends them back we keeps Simon puts Simon in prison until you come back with your youngest brother Benjamin that you told me about and so they go back and they eat the food that they were given and they run out of that food and then they have to come back again again however much long time that would be and so they come back again this time with Benjamin and so when Joseph saw Benjamin with his other brothers, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal, for these men will dine with me at noon. So they set Joseph in a place by himself, and the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now I'd imagine most times that Joseph's story is told, this verse is just kind of, Skimmed right over, not even thought about. But for our purposes, I think it's very significant. So let's look at it again, the bottom part here. Verse 32. They said, his servants, they set Joseph a place by himself, and his brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So even though uh, Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt, he's still eating all his meals alone for 20 years. Now you may eat most of your meals alone, but all your meals for 20 years? 
You may even enjoy eating alone. But all your meals for 20 years has no support system. But that's what it says. That's how it was in the workplace. Now, I'm glad it must have only been to re re restricting for food because he had two children, right? So, <laughs> so at least he was asleep with his wife, I guess, right? But he couldn't eat with her, maybe. That's what it says. It would be an abomination to eat with him. And we don't even understand all the heartache and the troubles that Joseph went through. And yet we have no record of him being depressed. He kept his mind stayed on the Lord. Even though under all this great loneliness and despair and heartache and disappointment, he maintained his faith in God. And thus, he had a cheerful, happy spirit. Like Paul said when he was in a dungeon in prison, rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And that everyone at each step of the line saw the Lord in Joseph. And if God can do that in Joseph, who had no Bible available to him, how much more can he do it in your life and my life? No matter what circumstances we're under. And no matter what we've gone through. I don't know if there's how many here have been sold into slavery, have had their brothers try and kill them and sell them. I don't know how many here have been thrown into a dungeon unjustly for 10 or so years, or other tragedies, or losing your mother in a young age and being rejected by your brothers, or having to eat your meals for 20 years all alone, or having people make promises and forget them for at least two years. But that's what Joseph went through. And he found the power to cope by trusting in the Lord. And the Lord made him prosper. Even ups and downs, the Lord sustained him. And eventually made him second in charge of all of Egypt. And that's what the Lord may do to, for us. Be able to put us in a position to find his peace and his happiness and his joy. He may allow us to go through things. Maybe that tragic and maybe that level. But if that's what it takes, praise God. Chapter 45, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. So he mentions twice, you sold me here. Again, he doesn't excuse their sins. He doesn't make up stories for it and try and soften it. He calls it what it was. But God has worked all things together for good. Amen. Thus, many people's lives have been preserved. And God will work all things in our lives together for good if we trust in him. And these are the thoughts that were going through Joseph's mind for 20 years every time he was tempted. And we talked last week about how Satan tries to get us to fall in various different ways. When temptation would come in, those dirty dog brothers of yours, or that horrible Potiphar's wife, 
They meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. And I know that's what he was thinking because we go five chapters later, maybe a few years later, chapter 50, last chapter in the book of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Then his brothers fell down before his face and said, we are your servants. And Joseph said, do not be afraid. You meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Wonderful, powerful words. So two different times he said basically the same thing. Years apart, or at least five chapters apart. And without warning. They just said it, they kind of shocked him. Oh, they bowed down before, oh, don't be angry. What are you talking about? Yes, you meant it for evil, but God has turned it out for good. So those must have been the thoughts that he had that kept him stable for those 20 years or so. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, it was evil. Yes, it was sinful. Yes, they used their free choice against me. But I choose to forgive them. Again, which is not forgetting the evil that they did. It's acknowledging it. It's holding it right there. And expecting judgment against them. And justice to be done. But choosing not to be angry not to be revengeful, not to take it personally, not to take it to heart, not to become overwhelmed by it, not to become depressed and crying over it, but trusting the Lord. He must have a plan. If God allowed it, he's got a plan. Might not have been God's will, it might not have been what God wanted to happen. I doubt God wanted him to go through all of this, but God was able to use it to bring about the salvation of many souls. And all the tragedies we've gone through, all the temptations that we've gone through, all the problems that we've gone through, God is able to work them all out together for good to those who love God, those called according to his purpose. And we choose to trust him. We choose to keep our mind focused on him. He will renew our minds and give us his perfect peace. And that's what kept Joseph from being depressed. Trusting the Lord, surrendering it to him, and waiting for God to bring out that justice and judgment. And so he held his brothers accountable. They suffered. Again, Simeon was in prison for a while. And then the others, they went through tremendous stress and tremendous grief and fell down on their faces and confessed and, and had to tell their father and be embarrassed. And so there was an accountability done. He called out their wrong. But he chose to love them in spite of it. And God can give us that type of forgiveness as well. And that type of peace as well. That's really a gospel account here. Right? God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that he would die, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. He used it for the salvation of many people. So he allowed Joseph to go through this because it's what it brought about to be able to save many people. Joseph wasn't sold into slavery. He might not have been able to ever meet the Pharaoh. He was never thrown into prison. He might not have ever been able to meet the Pharaoh. So God used these instances to put him in place to save many people. If Joseph wasn't in that place, his family might have died. The Messiah wouldn't have been able to come through that line. So God has a purpose and a plan. And I don't know what the purpose and plan or why he allowed you to go through what you went through and have gone through in your life. But I know that God will take their evil, and it was meant for evil, and work it out together for good. And that he will bring justice, he will bring judgment in his time, in his way. Trust in the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Patiently wait upon the Lord whether it's two years waiting for the butler to remember you, or whether 20 years for it to come about that you get to see your father again and see your brothers again. It might not be on this earth that we see it. It might only be in eternity. But God is in control if we allow him to be and trust in him. Okay, so talked about psychiatrists and psychologists before. So I want to show a little video of my favorite psychiatrist. You might be, know him. It's Dr. Bob Newhart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being very alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. Should I lay down? Oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And, uh, and let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes, and, and then absolutely nothing after that. How does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can, I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow, okay. And, uh, and I, I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, 
Write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, you're there. Stop it! I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. Yes. Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been it's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I, I only have a five, so. Well, I I don't I don't make change. Then I I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> oh, uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! Not of some kind? Don't, don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me No, fatty. no, no. No, no we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it! What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! <laughs> you, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Catherine? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me, uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you, want, you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box!
So there are some points there that are very ap applicable and helpful. And there are some that he's missing a point, a very important point, because as we read, the carnal mind cannot be in harmony with the, and subject to the law of God and God. And so we don't have the power to just stop it, or as Nancy Reagan would say, uh, just don't do it, or what would she say? Uh, uh, just, say no. just say no, right? Thank you. Just say no. We don't have the power in and of ourselves, in our carnal mind, to just say no. But God, through God, we can do all things. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. And so we would have added that on. In the name of the Lord, by his power, by his grace, I choose not to do that. Draw near to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. As we learned last week, overcoming the temptations of the devil. But we do see here, he does bring up, no sense talking about my mother said I was fat and all this and this person and that and, and the past. doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter. It's the today that's the issue. Don't borrow tomorrow's problems for today, today's life. And don't borrow yesterday's problems for today's life either. Live now, trusting the Lord day by day, having faith in him, waiting upon the Lord to bring to justice those that made mistakes and problems in the past, looking forward to heaven, keeping our eyes focused on the Lord and by God's grace. So when those thoughts come into our head, this is not fair, this is not right, unfair, 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 right? Joseph could have been sitting in prison all day long. This is unfair, 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 and it wouldn't help him. He'd still be in prison or a slave. Except if he did that all day, he wouldn't be in charge of the prison. If he did that all day, he wouldn't be in charge of Potiphar's house. And if we do that all day, we will not, the Lord, people will not see the Lord in us, and we will not prosper, and we will be depressed. Life is not fair. Life sucks. <laughs> but we're not in heaven. This is a fallen planet. We are in slaves here. We're captives here. We're in a foreign land. Not supposed to be great here. The devil rules over this world. But God rules over the universe. And God keeps in check. And only lets go so far here on this earth. And God gives us power and authority over the devil as we trust in the power of the Lord and in the name of the Lord and in the arm of the Lord. And that's where the victory is. And so in God's name and God's power and God's grace, when, when Satan tries to tempt us to try and think of all the dastardly deeds that everybody has done to us in the past and all our difficulties and all our problems in the present, in the name of the Lord, stop it. Stop those thoughts. Say, no, I choose not to think about those things. I choose to think that God is going to work this out together for good. That God has a better plan, a better job, a better thing, or whatever. He's got a better future in store to help people be in heaven. And the better might not necessarily be prosperity here, or whatever. The better might be going from slavery into prison. <laughs> in order to work out God's will for the salvation of souls. That's the end game. That's the goal. Keep our eyes focused on that goal. And whatever it takes to bring people to heaven, whether slavery or prison or being forgotten or 
temptation or whatever it takes to bring that about or to be elevated to second in charge of all the most powerful nation in the world, and so be it. And let God be God and trust him and become subject to him, surrendered to him, giving him our minds and our thoughts. So, if you've been rehearsing over and over again in your mind and with your mouth some wrong that someone has done to you, and if you're, not now, if you're now willing to let God stop that pattern, ask God to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of the Messiah. And say with Joseph, they meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. Continue to say that and believe it every time those past wrongs against you try to obsess your mind. So let's say that together. Maybe think of some wrong that someone did to you in some past. I'm sure that's not hard. Ready? Let's pick up here. They, ready? They meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. And that's the truth. Just as truly it was for Joseph, it's truly a lot true for you as well. Two, if you have been swallowing the poison pill of unforgiveness, hoping it'll hurt the offender, choose to surrender that to Yeshua. Let him deal with them. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Amen? If you're going through figurative hell, what is the goal ahead? What can you be doing to make it through? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And Paul wrote that from a dungeon as well. And so when those temptations and those thoughts to come in, Paul was unjustly put, thrown in that prison, just like Joseph. When those thoughts of all the injustices and all the unfairness comes in, rather think on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. And allow God to change the thoughts with a new mind. Four, if you've been abusing yourself in any way, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. So if any of these apply to you in a moment when we pray, you can let God do his work. Number five, if you've been listening to Satan's lies that you can't stop the fearful thoughts or the inappropriate behaviors or attitudes, confess them to God, accept the Messiah's cleansing sacrifice in your life to set you free from Satan's control, and claim the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to stop it. I can do all things 
through the Messiah who strengthens me. With God, nothing will be impossible. Amen. Okay, let's pray together. Let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name for working in Joseph's life and giving us the testimony of your ability to keep someone in perfect peace, no matter what the troubles and difficulties and heartaches. Lord, do that in our lives as well. May people see you in us, regardless of where we are, regardless in what situation and of life we're in. May you shine forth in our hearts and our minds. And regardless of what people have done to us in the past, Lord, we surrender them to you and allow you to bring vengeance in your time and in your way and to bring justice to the wrongs they did. Lord, we choose to trust you that you will work all things out together for good. And we choose to trust you that you will work even these horrible situations out for the salvation of souls. So Lord, cleanse us, take out our carnal minds. We want to surrender them to you. We confess our faults and our sins to you. Crucify us. Take out of us the carnal heart and the carnal mind. Bury it in Messiah and fill us with your mind. And let this mind be in us that was in Yeshua the Messiah. In his holy name, amen.